picking up in Luke chapter 17 today. So if you have a copy of God's Word and you're able to turn to Luke chapter 17, let's join together there here in just a few moments. And I want to share with you a message that I have titled, Where Are the Others? And it sounds like they're in the mic line right now. No, Luke chapter 17 and, and collecting our thoughts. I, I heard about an 80-year-old man who went to the doctor for a physical. And about a, a week or so later, that same doctor saw that same man as he was out in town just kind of walking down the street. And that man, that 80-year-old man, was smiling from ear to ear. And he had this beautiful woman who was about half of his age there dangling on his arm. Well, the doctor was a little bit surprised, so he said to the man, Hey, you seem to be doing better than I had thought when I checked you out last week. The old man replied, Well, hey, doc, I'm just doing what you told me to do. Don't you remember? You said, Get a hot mama and be cheerful. Well, the doctor said to that man, I, I can see that we need to set you up an appointment with the hearing specialist because that's not what I said. I said, You've got a heart murmur. Be careful. You know, when we misunderstand the message about healing that we need, we can really end up going in the wrong direction. I believe that's why we see such a large discrepancy between the statistics of those who claim to be Christians here in our part of the country and those who actually live their lives worshiping and serving Christ. The Pew Research Center conducted a study back in 2014, for example, that revealed that 77% of North Carolinians claimed to be Christians at that time. When North Carolinians were asked whether or not they were absolutely certain about their belief in God, that number actually dropped to 73%. And furthermore, when asked how important religion was in their lives, that number dropped down to 62%. And then only 36% said that they believed that there are clear standards for what is right and what is wrong. So as you might imagine, those numbers have continued to decline over the last six years. I couldn't find any specific statistics for 2019, but that same center did do uh, some surveys that, that uh, would, would compare the entirety of the United States, finding that Americans identifying as Christians dropped from about 77% to around 65% just over the last decade. That's a 12% reduction in those who would claim to be followers in Christ in only a matter of 10 years. While the percentage of individuals who claim that they have no religious affiliation, that has grown now to 26%. Now still, you might look at that and you might say, well, 65%, that's not bad. I mean, that's still practically two out of every three individuals in America who claim to be Christians. Well, the trouble is, the deeper you dive into those numbers, the more you realize that Christianity for so many individuals in our culture is nothing more than a cultural identity. 
These individuals so often do not agree that Jesus is the only way to be saved or that you must be born again, things which Jesus has clearly taught in his word. And that's how we end up with the pockets of lostness like our friend Russ Reeves from the Baptist State Convention came to share with us about a couple of weeks back. Because as we look beyond the cultural identity of Christianity and compare the essence of gospel that that God has revealed through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, with the nature of faith that individuals may claim to have, we find that there are some real missing gaps here. And furthermore, it's apparent that many of these people, many of these individuals who claim to be Christians, claim to love Jesus, but they hate His bride. As it has now been revealed that 54% of Americans attend church just a few times or less. That's increased also around 12% over the past decade. So when we look to the good news of the gospel that has changed the lives of so many of us who gather here week in and week out. And we, and we compare that with the growing reluctance of individuals who are all around us to take hold of that same gospel, we may be driven to ask a simple question. Where are the others? Where are the others who are finding the good news that we found? Where are the others who are being reconciled to our great God? Where are the others being saved by Christ? Even as we look within the numbers of those who claim to be Christians and we compare those numbers with the numbers of individuals who gather in churches to worship Him as He's commanded, we are driven to ask the same question. Where are the others? We're not only asking why so many individuals are missing the hope of the gospel, but also why so many who claim, who confess to know Christ, aren't living their lives as though He is the Lord of those lives. Why aren't they worshiping Him? Why aren't they giving Him thanks? Where are the others? And ultimately, that's a question that we find Jesus asking in today's passage. The incident that leads to this question is pretty simple. Jesus encounters 10 lepers, 10 individuals with the disease of leprosy who are crying out to him for mercy. He commands all of them, all 10 of them, to go and to show themselves to the priest. As they go, all 10 of them are healed as an obvious result of his power. But only one of them, who Jesus refers to as a foreigner, He's described as a Samaritan by Luke. He returns, only that one returns to fall at the feet of Jesus in worship, glorifying God and giving thanks. That's what they all should have done if they truly understood Jesus' power and Jesus' mission to come and to save them. But instead, Jesus is left to ask a similar question to the one that many of us may be asking if we are looking at the statistics of the world around us. Where are the nine others who were cleansed? He's essentially asking, where are the others? So join me now as we see this largely ungrateful brood of lepers in Luke chapter 17, starting in verse 11. If you're able, I'd ask that you might stand, that we can honor the reading of God's word together. 
Luke 17, starting in verse 11, while he, that is Jesus, was on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten leprous men who stood at a distance met him, and they raised their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, He said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they were going, they were cleansed. Now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. Here ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Let's just begin by recognizing our context here for the third time since Luke chapter 9, verse 51. Luke reminds us as this divinely inspired author of God's word that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. Jesus has, in fact, set his face to go to Jerusalem. In fact, these last seven or so chapters that we've been looking at are all a part of Luke's record of the final months of Jesus' time on earth before he was crucified. As Jesus ultimately sets his face to go toward Jerusalem, we're looking at a roughly a six-month time span before he would be lifted up on the cross. But as Jesus goes to Jerusalem, he's not going on a straight-line sort of path. He's making one final ministry tour around the various areas that surrounded the nation of Israel as he is on his way to bear the sins of the world on the cross of Calvary. And in today's passage, while Luke notes that Jesus is still on his way to Jerusalem in verse 11, we we read that he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. Now, Samaria was that area which was so dreaded by so many Jews It was formerly occupied by their own kinsmen, fellow tribes of the nation of Israel, in what was known as the northern kingdom of Israel. That kingdom, though, had split from the southern kingdom, uh, which would be known as Judea, after the reign of Solomon. And that kingdom, that northern kingdom of Israel, had been quick to pursue false gods. It had been captured by the Assyrians, who then exported some of the Jews and imported some of their own people from other conquered nations such that the people who lived in Israel in that northern kingdom intermarried and took on the gods of those who moved into their area. They became what the southern kingdom would refer to as half-breeds. They were no longer purely descendants of Jacob, purely descendants of Abraham as they themselves would say that they were. But instead, they had adulterated themselves by marrying those from other nations and taking on their gods. And as we learned when we looked 
at the parable of the Good Samaritan, many Jews did all that they could to avoid the region known as Samaria. Galilee, which was to the north of that area, was the place where Jesus had spent the majority of his ministry to this point. That's where the disciples were called. That's where the storm on the sea was stilled. That's where those on the mountain were fed. Galilee was the home base of Jesus' early ministry operations. But now, Jesus is traveling somewhere between those two areas. Galilee to the north, Samaria in the middle, and then Judea, which also houses Jerusalem to the south. Jesus is headed to Jerusalem, but he's traveling between those two northern areas. And we read in verse 12 that he enters a village. We aren't told the name of that village. It's not the name of the village that's important. It's what happens in that village that Luke, and ultimately God through Luke, wants to draw our attention to here today. Really, I think what happens here happens not within the village, but on the outskirts of the village because of the characters that are introduced to us there. Because the only characters in this passage are Jesus himself and ten nameless leprous men. Now, leprosy, by the way, was a horrible disease. It's not a disease that's common to us, thanks to our modern medicine, but, but still, individuals are occasionally diagnosed with what is modern-day leprosy. It's known as Hansen's disease, caused by a certain type of bacteria. And, and we looked at leprosy back in Luke chapter 5. That's been a couple of years ago, though, when we saw a man who came to Jesus with this condition of leprosy, and he said to Jesus, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus reached out and touched this one with this horrible malady, this horrible disease, this one who would be considered unclean by his kinsmen. Jesus reached out and touched him with a power that was not corrupted by the other's uncleanliness, but actually cleansed him. As Jesus said, I am willing, be made clean. But let me just reiterate the, the facts about leprosy. Leprosy is this horrible disease. It changes the color of a person's skin. It disfigures his body. It mangles his face. It eats away at his internal organs and his ability to feel until it eventually takes his life. Bible commentator William Barclay referred to this disease as a horrible death by inches. It begins via infected passage, uh, patches of, of uh, infection on the, on the skin, but then that infection impermeates, it permeates through the skin in, into the flesh where it numbs the flesh and leaves an individual's hands and feet and nose and ears and eyes without a sense of feeling. It ate away an individual's vocal cord functions as well, such that an individual with advanced leprosy was typically characterized by a sort of permanent laryngitis. Beyond that, you can imagine the social implications of a disease like this. Since leprosy mangled an individual's face and body, it, it might cause your stomach to churn if you were to look at someone who had this condition in its advanced stages. And God's word commanded some practical provisions for those who had leprosy 
so that they might prevent the spread of this disease to God's people. Much the same sort of thing that we see China trying to carry out now with this dangerous new sickness that's there. They try to contain the sicknesses. They try to put barriers around and keep individuals elsewhere from being contaminated by the same sort of thing. The same sort of thing happened with lepers. In fact, in Leviticus 13 and 14, we especially see some lengthy instructions that give priests knowledge about how to properly identify this disease of leprosy and how to respond in the event that it is identified or in the event that it is found to be something else. An individual who was thought to have leprosy was to present himself before the priest who would kind of function like a doctor, except normally doctors can provide you with some sort of cure. They would only provide the diagnosis. And the closest thing to a cure was to send individuals outside of the city, outside of the camp where they would not be dangerous to anyone else. They would put them in quarantine. And those quarantine instructions were pretty tough. They're detailed in Leviticus chapter 13, verses 45 and 46. Hear these words. As for the leper who has the infection, his clothes shall be torn, and the hair of his head shall be uncovered, and he shall cover his mustache and cry, Unclean! Unclean! He shall remain unclean all the days during which he has the infection. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Now, we should add to that that there was no known cure for this infection. So for him to remain outside of the camp all the days of this infection was practically a banishment for life. Outside of the camp, by the way, that probably explains to us why, even though Jesus was entering a village, these lepers stand at a distance as they meet him in verse 12. They had likely been banished from that city. They could no longer interact with their families. They could no longer expect a smile when they met the eyes of some healthy little child running towards the outskirts of the city. They could no longer visit the marketplace and mingle with others in the community. They could no longer bargain for the price over the goods that they were buying. They couldn't go to the Super Bowl parties or the Valentine's banquets because they were social outcasts. They had been quarantined. They had been banished outside the city. And they had what their fellow lepers would consider a community. Really, this was the only community that they had. In this instance, we find that 10 lepers, 10 individuals banished outside the city, 10 who had this common diagnosis, find a common bond that causes them to live in community, and all they had were each other. They couldn't return to their own people. They were left simply to look at the other lepers as they, just as they themselves were doing, somewhat rotted away in their own flesh through this disease continued to mangle them continued to destroy them until one by one in this community they would die off they were pure and simple outcasts they couldn't even gather with the people of god in worship because they were declared unclean they were unable to go into the temple 
They were ceremonially unclean. They couldn't gather with God's people to worship. So here they are. They've not only got this physical malady, it's a malady that also separates them socially from others and separates them religiously from the people of God. This was a community of outcasts. This was a community of sorrow. This was a community of hopelessness. Until, that is, one day, when they hear about a healer who is working in their land, and they hear about how he has healed a leper, and they begin to dream that maybe, just maybe, one day this healer will come our way and make a difference for us. Well, this is the day that they've longed for. Because Jesus has made a divine appointment with these diseased and disenfranchised individuals. But there's a greater tragedy still for nine out of ten of these individuals. Because even though the day of their spiritual healing could have come, nine out of ten of them miss that greater healing by only enjoying what Jesus could do physically. And as I look to this passage and seek to apply it to the cultural context in which we live, where increasingly fewer people are coming to Christ, glorifying God through Him, giving thanks to Him, I think this passage can be a help for us to answer the question, where are the others? In fact, I see in this passage four reasons why the others may be missing out on the best of what Jesus has to offer. Here's the first they do not realize that Jesus has mercy to hear. When Jesus enters this unnamed village, we read about the lepers meeting him in verse 12, and then we read in verse 13 that they raise their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Now that's a good prayer for any of us to offer. I hope that's a prayer of your life both in your initial instance of calling out for Christ to save you, but also just in the ongoing life of how we so often fail, how we so often find ourselves on the wrong side of what God would really want us to do. But Jesus, this, this word they call out to, this name they call out to him with, is, is the Greek, it's the English rendering of, of a Greek word which was Jesus which was a name that was also a translation of the Hebrew word Yeshua which was literally what we translate into English the the name Joshua but the this word literally means Yahweh saves they're calling out to the one who can save and they also refer to him as master they take a right attitude of their lowest state before him and they cry out saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Now, mercy, mercy, that's a, that's a word that conveys a matter of compassion in the face of a sincere need. It's a matter of helping individuals by meeting their needs and not giving them ultimately what they deserve, but, but giving them something beyond that. And these lepers, they are desperate for mercy. They're desperate for relief. Surely we understand why in light of this miserable condition that they find themselves in. They're so desperate that they raise their voices to Jesus. They were yelling, screaming at the top of their depleted and their hoarsened lungs. 
The sound must have been horrifying. And surely those who were traveling along with Jesus must have cringed at the sound and then turned their heads only to turn away once more upon encountering those with these disfigured faces and bodies in this band of outcasts. And surely there were some of those lepers who must have thought this Jesus might just treat us like everybody else treats us. He might just turn us away. He might not have mercy to hear us. But still they usher up their cry with the hope that the compassionate healer might heal them. And Jesus does heal them. He does hear them. Maybe you're here today and you've lived a life where you feel like you've, you've been left out, you've been neglected, you've been abused, you've been silenced time after time over and over again. And maybe you've heard about this Jesus and the amazing things that he can do. But you're thinking to yourself, in light of that, in light of my past experiences, I wonder if he would treat me the same way that everyone else has treated me. Listen, friends, if you're afraid that Jesus won't have mercy for you, if you're afraid that he won't hear you, you should take note of what these miserable, rejected lepers found. Because Jesus has mercy for whoever calls out to him. It's not your cleanliness that makes the difference. It's not your ability to get tidied up and to have your life lived according to all the right rules. No, come to Jesus, the mess that you are, and cry out to him because Jesus will hear you. And look, friends, if we say that we follow Jesus, if we want to be on mission with him, then we need to have the same heart as him. This causes me to wonder, what do we, as the people of God, regard as unclean in the community around us or in the community within, in the church? What do we think is untouchable? Are there individuals that we would not be willing to minister to because we think that they are so defiled as to be dangerous to our fellowship? Perhaps some of us think that individuals who struggle with attractions to the same sex would be untouchable and unclean. Or it could be those who struggle with drug addictions or those who sell drugs who we assume are beyond Christ's healing touch. Maybe we see prostitutes and alcoholics or gang members as the untouchable, unclean. And I just kind of wonder, are there certain individuals that are simply off our radar when it comes to ministering the gospel of Christ? Are there certain areas of town or certain parts of the country or certain nations abroad that we simply would steer around in our gospel ministry because we don't want to run the danger of encountering those people. It's important for us to remember and to identify who it is that we think is unclean in our world so that we might remember that our Savior says that He is willing to make them clean.
There is no person that Jesus is not willing to make clean. But here's the trouble. He's given us this message to bear. He's given us this gospel to share. And if the unclean are going to hear that they can be made clean, then we must be willing to faithfully go and do what Christ has commanded us to do. We must be willing to make disciples, especially of those whom others may see as unclean, even if the others may be ourselves. We must be willing to let others know that there is a way to be made clean before God. There is a Savior who is able to cleanse those who call out to Him for cleansing. And His name is Jesus. And He is willing to show all men of all types, all outward appearances, of all sorts of backgrounds, of all sorts of mess, that he is willing to show them mercy. And the good news I've come to find in my own life is that God delights to show mercy to those who cry out for it. Were it not for his mercy, I would be a ship wrecked at sea. But because of his mercy, I have cried out to him for mercy. And he has heard my cry. And I continue to cry out to him for mercy. And he continues to hear. As the author of Hebrews writes in Hebrews 4, 16, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And so as we ask, where are the others? The first reason why the others may be missing out on the best of what Jesus has to offer is that they do not realize that Jesus has the mercy to hear. Here's the second. They do not realize that Jesus has the power to heal. I find it interesting to read in verse 14 that not only did Jesus hear these individuals, he actually took action when he saw them. And Luke actually doesn't say that he heard them, though he certainly did hear them. But Luke records that when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priest. Look, Jesus saw them as no other eyes could see them. Why? Because the eyes of most of those individuals who would view these ten men would see them as unattractive, even repulsive in their appearance. When most people saw these men, they saw disfigurement. They saw disgust that they couldn't help to change. And so they looked away, and they tried not to lose their lunches. But in the eyes of Jesus, these suffering souls were objects of his love and his deep compassion and his tender heart. Jesus didn't look away because Jesus had the power to heal them. And look, Jesus, he sees you and me as well. The things that we try to hide away, the things that cause others to be repulsed by us, he sees these things and yet his love is still toward us. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. Ungodly though we were, still his mercy came for us. 
And he has power to heal us. Maybe that's a power you've never considered in your own life. Maybe you've heard about Jesus and maybe you thought Jesus did some interesting things that got him into the history books of the past, but you've never really considered that Jesus has power to heal today. If you are unaware of Jesus' power, look through the eyes of these lepers. Not only did Jesus have mercy to hear them, he also had the power to heal them. And they realized that as they responded. They responded in faith to Jesus' command for them to go and show themselves to the priests. We read that at the end of verse 14. As they were going, they were cleansed. That is, they had a certain sort of faith. Now, that wasn't saving faith, as we'll discuss here in a few moments. But they had enough faith to respond when Jesus comes to town with the power to heal. They have enough faith to do what the healer that they've heard about commands them to do because they want to find physical healing. Jesus was at this time causing a ruckus in all of Judea and Samaria and Galilee, and everyone was talking about this miracle worker and what he was able to do. So when the healer spoke, they responded in faith in his ability for physical healing. And as they responded, it's interesting what Luke says. He says, they were cleansed. He doesn't say they were healed. He says they were cleansed in verse 14. That's interesting because the Bible often kind of draws a parallel between the idea of leprosy and sin. In fact, King Uzziah in the Old Testament was stricken with leprosy in response to his sin. And he had to live in the state of a leper until his death. And the Bible often has this idea that leprosy is a parallel for sin. You see, the Bible wants all of us to see ourselves in a natural state as though we are lepers in God's sight. God wants us all to see that our hearts are deceitful and desperately wicked, as we read in Jeremiah 17, 9. We're all sick with sin, unclean before a holy God. And just as leprosy separated individuals from their communities, sin creates distance in our own lives, between our own communities, with our own family members, with those who are in the communities that surround us. Just as leprosy would would cause an individual to be unclean, unable to worship God, sin does the same sort of thing for us. It creates a barrier, a division between us and us. And the Almighty God. But listen to the words of 1 John 1 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Friends, you can be cleansed. There is one who has come with the power to make you clean, with the power to forgive your sins, and his name is Jesus Christ. He has come to pay the sin debt and to restore you to God. And so we ask, where are the others? And we find the second reason why the others may be missing out on the best of what Jesus has to offer is that they do not realize that Jesus has the power to heal. Here's the third reason. They do not realize that Jesus is worthy of praise. In verse 15, 
Luke kicks on the spotlight to highlight one of the ten who had been healed, and he writes, Now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. It's interesting here that the word translated loud voice, this loud voice that the one who returns uses. It's actually literally in the Greek, megaphone. Uh, you put that together, you get our derived word megaphone. I mean, this one who turned back, this Samaritan, upon learning that he was healed, he became a megaphone, glorifying God and giving thanks to him. And all of the ten lepers saw that they had been healed, but only one was impacted not as much by the healing as by the healer. And that's a, that's a danger for all of us. We can get so consumed with the healing. We can get so consumed with wanting to be physically well and capable of pursuing our own dreams that we miss the healer who ultimately restores us for his glory. But this one leper apparently recognized that Jesus was more than just an ordinary man at this moment. How do we know that? Well, look at how he responded. He fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving thanks to him as he was glorifying God. That is, this man in this moment was glorifying Jesus as God. Now, in the book of Acts, we find that, that individuals tried to worship Paul and Silas as though they were divine. But Paul and Silas would not have that. They put an end to that. Likewise, in Revelation chapter 19, John the Apostle was overwhelmed by what he had seen and what the angel had re revealed to him. And we read John's words. I fell at his feet. I fell at the angel's feet to worship him. But he said to me, do not do that. I'm a fellow servant of yours and your brethren who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. But when this leper falls at Jesus' feet here in Luke chapter 17, Jesus doesn't rebuke him. Because he has fallen at the feet of the very God in flesh. And Jesus received this healed man's worship because Jesus deserved this healed man's worship. And if you've been healed from your sins, my friends, Jesus is deserving of your worship. Give glory to God by worshiping the Savior, Jesus Christ. But the question then arises, where are the others? Jesus answered and said in verse 17, were not ten cleansed? But the nine, that is the other nine, where are they? They'd all received the same healing. They'd all been cleansed of the same disease. But only one of them returned to worship the one who had made all the difference. Where were the others? Maybe they were waiting to see if the cure was real and would last. Maybe they were so excited to do what they had been longing to do in this condition for so long that once they found healing, they jumped right into that which they had longed for and forgot about Jesus. Perhaps they came to the conclusion that they would have gotten well on their own just the same. 
Maybe they said, hey, look, I deserve a little credit here. I stepped out in faith and I went to the priest. Or maybe they simply decided any rabbi could have done that. Whatever the case, Luke doesn't tell us. We only know they didn't give God the glory he deserved. They didn't give Jesus the thanks and the worship that was rightfully his. And that was wrong. And that's wrong for us as well. Friends, if you found the mercy of God in the face of Christ, then he deserves your life of thanksgiving and praise. And all of us would be wise to take up more time worshiping at the feet of Jesus, bowing our lives before him in humility, acknowledging that the healing he offers to us, a greater healing than physical healing, as we'll discuss here in a moment, is worthy of our worship and our thanksgiving and our praise. And so I ask you, fellow Christian, are you quick to pray but slow to praise? Because that's where these lepers were. Nine out of ten of them were so enthusiastic, lifting up their voices in prayer. Jesus, meet my needs. But once that happened, they were slow to praise. They went about lives as though nothing had happened. Truth be told, when most of us pray for healing, we do so because we want to be able to get back to ordinary life. I mean, how often do we pray for healing, either for ourselves or for our friends and our family who are suffering? Because we want the one who is healed, whether it's us or someone else, to be able to live a life of glorifying God. Like when you pray for healing, is that the reason why you pray for healing? Do you say, God, heal me so that I can glorify you with my good health? Are you thinking more, God, heal me so I can, you know, get back and make a little more income? God, heal me so I can get out and and enjoy a movie. I think truth be told, so often our ambition is of the latter sort rather than the former. And yet this one shows us something so different, something so sweet as to be commendable by the master himself. So friends, even if you don't yet know Christ... Let me just tell you that you have so many blessings that God daily showers upon you. You awake to see the sun shining and hear the birds chirping and to smell the beautiful flowers. Do you give thanks to the God who created all of those things? Some of you grumble about having to eat the same old cereal day in and day out and you've forgotten how so many people would gladly change places with you if they could simply eat anything for breakfast. Some of you complain about your jobs, while many others would be so thankful just to have a job. Some of you complain about your income, while you spend more money on entertainment in a day than most of the world makes in an entire week. And yet God's mercy for you is greater still. He has caused the news of Jesus to come to your area. He has caused the news of his son, which has been sacrificed for your salvation, to come to your ears. He has sent his only son with love. And the one who has come tunes his ears to listen to your needs. And he has done all, all that is necessary to offer you pardon, to forgive your sins. Friends, we ought to be the most grateful people 
in all the world. But is that the characteristic of our lives? Maybe the reason why so many others are slow to come and praise him is because they're looking at the evidence of those of us who claim to know him, but who show little thankfulness or little joy in light of what we know. And listen, an unthankful heart is fertile soil for all kinds of sins. In fact, as God, through the Apostle Paul, begins the case against humanity that he weaves in the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 1, Paul ultimately kind of, kind of ties the beginning of sin that brings about our separation from God all to this idea of being unthankful, ungrateful. Listen to Romans chapter 1. Starting in verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, listen to this, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. But they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. And so, the refusal to honor God for who he is in praise and worshiping for who he is, the refusal to give thanks is what ultimately led to darkened hearts that led us so far away from our Creator. And look, let me just tell you, if you're living in the bitterness of the past rather than the thankfulness and worship of the present, then you're not giving our great God the glory and the honor He deserves. And so as we ask, where are the others? The third reason why others may be missing out on the best of what Jesus has to offer is that they do not realize that Jesus is worthy of praise. Here's the final reason. They do not realize that Jesus has grace to save. That's ultimately what this one leper who turns back to worship Christ finds. He's come to Jesus as the divine healer. And he wants more of what Jesus has to offer than just temporary physical healing. In fact, he wants his own life to be dedicated to the one who has rescued him. And so he offers his life as a sacrifice. He bows before him. He humbles himself and he essentially says, Jesus, all this health, all these good things in my life, I can these are all because of you. So take my life and use me for your glory. He wants more of it. I mean, he wants more of what Jesus has to offer. And Jesus refers to that one as a foreigner in verse 18, by the way. He says, has, Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? That the, the implication of 
this is, is that the other nine lepers were not foreigners. The other nine lepers must have been Jews. The other nine lepers must have been the people of God. And yet the people of God had neglected to give glory to God and thanksgiving to God as they should. But this one, this foreigner, has chosen to do so. And it's interesting to note that the word that's translated foreigner, it's only used one time in the Bible that's here in this verse. But as the Jewish historian Josephus records, this word was actually used on signs that were posted in the temple that prohibited individuals who were foreigners from passing the inner barrier of the temple that separated the court of the Gentiles from the area where the Jews could enter into. And the Bible makes it so clear to us that Christ came to break down that dividing wall so that those who were formerly excluded from the commonwealth of Israel now, according to Ephesians chapter 2, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And because of that, my friend, you should know that Jesus has grace to save even you. No matter your background, no matter your heritage, no matter your condition, no matter your sin, this one came to Jesus as a mess, but he left as a saved child of God. Just like any of us who've ever been saved by Jesus did ourselves. Jesus says to him in verse 19, Stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. That word translated made you well is actually the word that is often translated saved you elsewhere in Scripture. In short, this foreigner, this despised Samaritan was saved by grace through faith. The only way any of us will ever be saved. That's the way that you too can be saved. And the Samaritan's nine friends were declared clean by the priest. But this one, this one was declared saved by the Son of God. While it's wonderful to experience the miracle of physical healing, it's even more wonderful to experience the miracle of eternal salvation. Physical healing is a great blessing, but listen, friends, physical healing ends at death. And like the most it's going to do for you is to prolong your death. But spiritual healing brings the blessings of eternal life which shall never, ever ever end in the nine they fell short of saving faith the nine what they got what they wanted from god in terms of their healed bodies but they went no farther they never returned to jesus to receive the salvation of their souls these lepers trusted jesus for healing of their physical bodies but not of their spiritual bankruptcy they in no way indicated that they were giving their lives to him. And you know, I fear that far too many people in our day say that they have believed in Jesus when the reality is they've only believed about Jesus. It's not enough to believe that Jesus has the power to heal. I believe that in my own life for many years. I believe that Jesus had the power to to rescue me from my lack of preparedness when it came exam time on the college campus so i prayed for that power 
I believed he could heal those who were sick, so I prayed for his healing to make others well. But what I did not believe in that time in my life was that I was so unworthy that I needed to be saved, that I needed spiritual healing from him. I didn't believe that I needed to be rescued. I didn't believe that the work that Jesus had done on the cross was a work that I was totally undeserving of. And so my life was not a life of thanks to him. Friends, let me just tell you, don't settle for that sort of life. Because Christ has so much more to offer than that. Where are the others? Here in the Bible Belt, where so many individuals claim to be Christians, why are our churches not overflowing with individuals giving Him thanksgiving and praise? Where are the others? Don't they know that He is worthy of blessing and honor and glory? Where are the others? Have they truly come to know Christ? If so, then where are they? Have we driven them away with something less than authentic Christianity ourselves? Have we scared them away, thinking that we're only going through the motions? Where are the others? Could it be that they've never truly been saved at all? God's word in Romans chapter 9 proclaims, If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved, Paul writes. And yet in the very next verse, we read what may be the greatest challenge for us as we think about the question, where are the others? Because Paul goes on to reveal in Romans chapter 9, beginning in verse 14, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe on him in whom they have not heard? How will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things and so as we seek to answer the question where are the others could it be that the answer is that they are all waiting waiting for you waiting for me to be sent to share and to proclaim the good news about jesus look jesus has done the sending his final words to his disciples were go therefore and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He said, Lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. Who has been sent? The disciples of Jesus have been sent. If you are a follower of His, you have been sent to proclaim His good news, to make disciples. And could it be that the others whom we wonder where they are might be waiting to hear about Jesus and His mercy and His grace and His worthiness to be Praise through us so that they too might believe in him and call on him so as to be saved. We started a kind of focus, a prayerful 
emphasis. You could call it a campaign of sorts. A few months back where, where I ask each of you to identify one person, one person in your life who you believe needs to know the gospel. One person in your life who you believe is not walking with the Lord. And, and we ask that question of each of us. We, we want to be ready. We want to be an, ready to answer the question, who's your one? Because look, the first step is to go to the first person and to make the difference in sharing the good news of the hope of the gospel. When we think about changing the world and we think about what a what difficult sort of thing that would be to do, but, but the reality is this happens one person at a time. And so I ask you again, who's your one? Who, who is the one who maybe is among the others who claims to be a Christian and gives no evidence to that in the way that they live. Or maybe, maybe, just maybe you're the one who needs to leave the herd today. Maybe you're the one who's been in the midst of cultural Christianity and you're okay to say, yeah, Jesus is cool and all, but I really don't want to change anything about my life to follow him. Maybe you're the one who needs to turn and to glorify God and to give him thanks by yielding your life to him. We're going to close with a final time of prayer and a time of invitation. But if the Lord is leading you to respond in some way, maybe to yield your life to Him, maybe to pray over your one, maybe to seek new opportunities to be champions for this gospel, maybe to get out of your self-centered sort of life and give thanks to Him for who He is and what He's done, there's a need for you to respond. You do what the Lord would have you to do. Let's pray together.